We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. How many have had a chance to read over this chapter sometime over the last week or so? Have you done that? I hope so. Those of you who didn't, God bless you for not listening and not even trying to, to read the Bible. <laughs> oh, goodness. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Chapter 8, we're talking a little bit. And of course, just a reminder, what, is, uh, what church would be the model for showing us to give to world evangelism and to give to missionaries. What church in the Bible comes to your mind? Yeah, the church at Philippi. But the methodology of how to give it simply, scripturally, and successfully, I think is found right here in 2 Corinthians, chapters 8 and chapters 9. The Apostle Paul had already pitched his idea, and it was very successful now there are people coming, and it's just a few weeks away till he'll be there, and he sends on Titus and sends on two other men to come and to organize the church at Corinth and get them ready so that when he shows up, they're ready and they're not scurrying around, and uh, their, their testimony of what they would do for God uh, and what they have bragged about them all over the place would come to fruition. So, and... Uh, that they would have eternal fruit. We'll see that in this passage of Scripture. Chapter 8, he challenges them as they consider giving. Don't forget, there are people that are poor, that are, that are generous. There are people that are afflicted, and yet they have joy. That's the Macedonian Christians. Remember, when Titus comes, he's the one who was there. When you made your commitment, he's coming back. Listen to him. Let him help you. He is your, he's proctoring you. He's helping you. He's provoking you. We talked about the man, Titus. We talk about the motive that we give to missions. Why? Because someone gave so I would get saved. It's only natural I would give so other people get saved. Because of the forwardness of others to give, forwardness of others I give as well. And to prove the sincerity of my love. Uh, tithing doesn't necessarily show you love. Tithing is, uh, is honesty. You know, if I left my wallet and you chased me down and found me and said, Pastor, I, just have a, I love you so much and I just want to give something so special to you. And you gave me my wallet. I would not feel love. I would feel the fact, well, thank God you're honest. I needed that wallet. Thank you. But if you said, Pastor, here's your wallet and I want to give you $100 in addition to that, I would feel lots of love. Yeah, because now you're showing your love. And the same is true. We show our love by our giving. And he said, to prove this, sir, you love participating in this. You're good at other things. You're good at work. You're, you're diligent. You're faithful. You're knowledgeable. You win people to Christ. You show your love to us. Well, make sure you excel in the grace of giving as well. That was his admonition. And he said, here, and I give my advice. This is, this is expedient for you. It was them he was thinking about. He said, you're going to be the winner. You're going to be the one who's going to be blessed if you participate with God in this way. And the plan was, is that every person make a commitment. And then you do it because you want to do it. Not because you have to, not because someone has their, their arm behind your back, but, but it's something that the Spirit of God provokes inside of you, and you want to be involved with that. You, 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 you make a commitment, you do it because you want to, and then you do what you said you would do. You make a commitment, and you fulfill your commitment week after week. And I think it's a great plan. And it's a plan that is, is uh, Paul says, look, I want to provide things that are honest in the sight of God. And one thing I can tell you is that we use our missions funds for missions. So we do it. It, it, it doesn't go uh, to our general fund. 
we use or we won't take our missions money and, and uh, get curtains for the nursery. We don't get, take our missions money and do something that we need here. We've not done that. I have no interest in doing that. I want to use missions funds, providing things that are honest that will go to the propagation of the gospel of Christ in some venue outside of our church family. And I think it's a very wise thing to do. Now, chapter number nine. Let's look there if we can, please. And the Apostle Paul continues his admonition. Verse 1, for it's touching the ministering to the saints, this project. He said, now in regards to this project of ministering to the saints of Jerusalem, it is superfluous for me to write to you. He goes, I probably don't need to write you. It's kind of silly. I probably don't need to, to remind you about this. That's what it means. But I know the forwardness of your mind. I know how excited you were about this last year when I was with you, and I'm sure you're still excited. For, for which cause I boast of you of Macedonia and Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many. By the way, let me just say to you, what you whenever a, a church and a Christian gets excited about giving and investing in world evangelism, other people usually catch that, that, that fever. They get excited about that. No doubt that what happens here, and we're not, we're, we're not the greatest church in the world. I'm grateful for who we are and what God is helping us, and we've got lots of room for improvement. But if we get excited about missions and world missions, other people do it all. Every week, uh, I would say every week, that's probably an exaggeration, but often, Brother Mark Bushy and our, and our assistant pastors will, be, will get calls, and they'll say, well, tell us, how are you doing with missions? What are you doing? And we need to figure that out. This last week, I had a man tell me, he said, John, he said, I, I heard what you guys are doing, and there in the East Coast, he said, we have been very fervently trying to reach our area, but we have done a lousy job with missions. Tell me, tell me what to do. Tell me, give me some advice. What do you think I should do? I got a call two weeks ago. Pastor, can you give me a couple guys that I could call that might come and speak for our missions, for our, for our church, so we can learn how to do faith promise missions? This is wonderful. Brother, Brother Jesse, one of our former assistant pastors, he said, Pastor, our church is a good church. He said, we don't know what faith promise is. We're going to have our first faith promise missions conference, and we're giving, but we're giving $8,300 a month, which is fantastic, but we just take it out of our general fund. But I think God's going to help us, and we'll give far above that using the method of faith promise. I'm looking forward to that. But it's the things I learned there that I think is very excited to take here to Spokane. So we, we get to do that. Anytime you get involved with that, it does have a provocative effect on others. And that's what Apostle Paul said. He said, I've told everybody kind of how what you're going to do a year ago, and they got excited, and, it's, it, and it didn't just uh, uh, excite many, it excite, excited very many. Look at the next thought, if we can, please. Now we're looking at verse number three. Yet have I sent the brethren, I've sent Titus and these two other men, lest our boasting of you should be in vain on this behalf. That is, I said, ye may be ready. He goes, so I've sent these guys so that you'll be ready when we arrive. Lest happily, if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared, we, that we say not ye, shall be ashamed in the same confident boasting. He goes, I've asked these guys to come in advance to make sure you're not caught unprepared when I come. Because if I come and you're not ready, then... It will be a matter of I'll be embarrassed and you'll be scrambling. And I don't want you to give that way. He'll tell why later on. Because we give to missions especially, you don't give grudgingly nor of necessity. 
We want it to be not like, oh, I have to do this. I told you, oh, man. No, no, it's because I get to. It's an opportunity to do it. Not a have to, but a get to. Not something I do grudgingly, but something he goes, and when I come, I'll be embarrassed because I told everybody that you were ready. So I've asked them to come a little early and make sure you're ready because they're coming in person. They'll see if you're prepared. So look at the next verse if we can, please. Verse number five. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to challenge Titus and the other two that they would go before you and make up before you, beforehand your bounty to gather your commitments. Whereof ye noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not of covetousness. He says, I want you to get it together and not appear as though it's a matter of, of you're prepared and you had it all saved up and it's ready to present. Not a matter of covetousness, not a matter of like, uh, we're trying to get something from you, but it's something you got a chance to participate in. So that's, Paul tells this logic, why he's sending the three other men together ahead of time to help them prepare for their uh, faith promise commitment. Now let's look at verse number six. But this I say. So he says, um, when you make up your offering, he said, having said that, when you, when you get ready to, to finish your commitments, remember these things. Would you read verse 6 with me? He that soweth sparingly shall reap also, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also. Okay, he says, look, so when you're getting ready to finish your commitment, remember the laws of the harvest. So there is, there's one law you and I cannot break, and that's the law of sowing and reaping. <laughs> you can't break that one. He said, but whenever it comes to giving, remember the laws of the harvest. And that is, if you sow a little, you reap a little. If you sow a lot, you reap a lot. So just remember that. He says, whenever you're getting ready to, to give your missions offering, remember, you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. You sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. Okay, so he's just kind of giving them some motivation. Let's look at the next verse, verse number seven. Can you read it with me, everyone? Every man, according as he purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity. All right, this is a great verse. He said, now, every man. So how many people should be involved in this project? I really think everybody should. Everybody doesn't have to be, but I, I think he said, he said, every man, you do what you have purposed in your heart. Every, every young lady, every, every, uh, every uh, married couple, you do what God has purposed in your heart to do. But when you do it, do grudge, don't do it grudgingly. Don't do it like, ah, I, I got to do this again. Really, that's not the spirit that God wants you to have. If you feel like, man, I've got to give admissions because pastor's putting the, putting the screws on me, I really don't, I don't think that's a good idea to feel that way. And if I make you feel that way, woe on me. But I do want you, I do want you to be aware of the opportunity. And there's something, there is something. He said, now remember this. Not grudgingly, nor necessity, because God loveth a cheerful giver. What do you think that means? How many people in the world does God actually love? I would say everyone. Why would he say he loveth a cheerful giver here? What do you think it, what do you think it means? I want you to process that. Uh, why is it that God would say, I love especially a cheerful giver? I don't know exactly what you're thinking, and we probably are, our crowd is a little too large for me to solicit everybody's opinion. But I think 
what, what God is saying there, that God, to someone who gives because they get to, cheerfully, God puts his love on them, in them, and through them more effectively. I think that's, that's true of a church. One of my favorite compliments anyone gives this church is like, man, that, that, God is all over that place. I love to hear that. I felt the Lord inside there. I love to hear that. And you know what? You and I ought to, want, ought to have people say that about us. God puts his love on them, in them, and through them. They seem to know how to spread the love of Christ in others. And I do think there's a direct correlation to giving that allows God to put his love on you and in you. Once again, not equal giving, equal sacrifice, equal commitment, purpose in your heart. Don't try to compete with anybody else. Other, someone else's giving might provoke you to be more aggressive, but don't try to keep up with the Joneses. But I do believe that God says, I love a cheerful giver, not someone who has to do it. Now, I'm sure that, uh, and I have had so many good meals from my wife. And uh, I'm sure that, that she could have just given them to me because she's my wife and, and I'm her husband and she knows that's her responsibility. And, and I can come home from work and say, John, I'm your wife, you're my husband, it's my responsibility, I made a meal for you, Ho, here, hope you like it. And I just promise you, I, I will eat it, Okay. And she's a good cook, and I'll enjoy it. But she says, here, it's my duty. I hope you like it. I'll eat it. But you know when she says to me, John, I could not wait for you to get home. I made this with love, and I love you. And I say, well, thank you very much. I'm looking forward. And I get ready to get it, and she pulls it back. Oh, no. Kiss. Then I say, oh, okay. Ah, thank you very much. It's made with love. Now I know that I'm not getting that because she has to do it for me. I'm getting it because she thought about me. She did it because she could, not because she had to. And I think God also wants us to, to give to him because we get to. And then when we do that, he exchanges that with his love on us, in us, and through us. If you have a different opinion than what I just shared, Never share it with anybody. That would be a dumb thing to say. This is the right opinion right here. I'm just joking. Nah. I think there are probably other better opinions. But nonetheless, that's my opinion, and we don't have time for discussion right this very moment. Number eight. Let's look at verse number eight. Can we please? Could you read it out loud with me? Ready? And the God is able to make all grace abound towards you. In all things may be able... This is a great verse. I want you to know what happens when we give cheerfully. What's the next two words in verse number eight? What is it? And who? God meets you at the point of your giving. And what does he do? Look what he does in this passage. Are you ready? And the Bible says, and God is able. Is there anything God cannot do? No. So God is able to make all grace abound toward who? You. So he, it's his strength that jumps in, and his, his power and his grace comes upon the person who's giving. That ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. 
You know, if you think about that, who is the provider of everything you would give anyway? God. And once I learned to generously do what he wants me to do as he purposed in my heart to do, and I do it and I do it gladly, he comes in and says, now I am able to make all grace abound to you so that you will have all sufficiency in all things to participate with me into every good work. Do you know there's two kinds of work in the Bible, dead work and good works. Would you imagine which one of those might be eternal in nature? Good works. Make a house payment, make a car payment. It's necessary. You need a place to, you need a place to live. You need a, a car to drive. Go to the grocery store and give your, give your food for your, give your money for your food. That's necessary. We have to sustain ourselves. There's so many things, and, and I know that every bush is a burning bush and every all grounds holy ground. But I also would know this, a lot of things we do in this life, they end in this life. But many things, when we start getting involved in, in, uh, in things in partnership with God, they become eternally significant. And we, it, it goes into the area of good works. Not things that end in this life, but things that transition eternity's window and go on the other side of eternity. He said, whenever we learn to give, as God has prospered us, as God has purposed in our heart to do, we purpose in our own heart to participate with God, and we do it grud- not grudgingly, but, uh, but, but gladly, cheerfully, then God gets involved, and he allows you to give more through you than he would give to you, but gives you enough to take care of you. I- I'll just say this at First Baptist Church. When I became your pastor, it was a challenging time. There was $18.5 million worth of debt ministry-wide. We, we did not have money. We had, there was just, it was very, very difficult. Miss Marion is here, Brother Eddie is here. I think they could testify to the challenges that were here at the time, and many of you could too. But it was very overwhelming. And one of the things I found out is that, you know what, if we're going to have enough to take care of us, we have to learn to be cheerful givers because we need to invite God in the equation. And these verses were very instrumental in my thinking, and it was challenged. Precious people, some folks in this room said, Pastor, I don't understand. You keep talking about adding missionaries. We got a debt out here. We got problems. We got buildings that are falling apart. We got things need to be do. We need to we need to fix our buses and buy more buses and all of that. I knew that. But I do believe that when someone gets a heart for God's big, then we invite him into our little world. And he is able to give sufficiency for all things. He's able to help you to do what he wants to be done in partnership with him, so that you can abound in every eternal work. Now, I don't know if you would see something different there, but I think that is the thing. And I think it's true with with our own personal finances. And once again, I'm not trying to get anyone to get goofy or or, uh, uh, go to some extreme, but I would say that you would be amazed what God will give through you. If we'll, if we'll exercise these principles. So Paul, not because he's trying to get more money. Now, he wants them to give substantially, but he wants them to give voluntarily. 
I don't think he was, he was hoping they would, just, they would just give a few pennies. I think he, he really wanted them to participate. They were excited about it, but he wants all grace to abound to them. Here is my advice, for this is expedient for you. Jesus said, lay up for yourselves. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Apostle Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, you charge the rich. Those people who have more than they need, you charge them. And by the way, everybody in this room is in that group. Some of you think, oh, yeah, I'm glad you're talking to the rich people. I'm sure there's a few of them in here. No, it's you. All of us have more than we need. Okay, we, we, have, we have been given more than we need in some ways. And sometimes we don't have what we need because we're, we're, we're not hard workers. We're not diligent. We associate with, with wrong kind of philosophies and people. We're not content. We spend when we should be saving. We sit when we should be up and working. We complain when we should be engaged into work, and we don't give. I think when you find people that work diligently, they associate carefully in their, in their, in their, in their associations, they, they, they live simply and contentedly, and they give generously, it's a combination that God would bless. And quite frankly, I want that for our church. We don't always think about that, but I, I oftentimes think, you know, I want, to, I want to be a hardworking pastor for this church family and for my Lord. I want to work with hardworking people because God blesses hard work. I want to make sure I'm thinking biblically. I'm not caught up with some, ask, some guy asking doting questions, generating strife. I, want, I don't want to get too distracted by dealing with stuff that doesn't matter because that pulls you off track. You've got to be careful about it. There's always people asking doting questions to generate strife and envy and all of that stuff. He said, from such, withdraw yourself. Get away from those people because they'll take you off track. Live a contented life, simple. There are many things we've tried to keep almost in our church. If you look at our budget, the bottom line is about the same as it was 11 years ago. If, we, if our weekly budget's 97000 a week, it's about the same as it was 11 years ago. Well, how do you do that? Inflation has now gone up many times. It's because we live a little more simply than we used to live. We do things a little bit differently so that we can get more for less, pay down our debt, do the things we need to do, but also at the same time, give generously. Look for opportunities to meet the needs in other locations around the world. That's a biblical principle that God puts here in the scriptures. And it works for the church. It works for me. It'll work for you. Let's look at the next thing, if we can, please. We need to hasten and I need to conclude. Verse number 9, he says, As it is written, he refers back to Psalms 112. He that dispersed abroad, he that gave uh, outside of his realm, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth for how long? Okay, so whenever I learn to give outside of myself, outside of our church family, especially to those who have need, he said, your righteousness remaineth how long? Forever. By the way, are you ought to be interested in righteousness? Supposed to seek the kingdom of God and his? It's a right thing to do. And it becomes instantly eternal. Anyone who would love you as a pastor, as a friend, as a mom and dad, a Sunday school teacher, any friend would want others to have the eternal benefit that comes from the blessings of God. You want righteousness and endure forever. Let's get to the next one, verse number 10. Now, he that ministers seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food and multiplies your seed sown and increases your fruits of your what? 
Once again, do you see righteousness pop up in the scripture here? Okay, and he's just basically saying, look, when you can give to, you can take seed and you can give it to someone else to sow somewhere else, it actually multiplies the benefit of your eternal righteousness. Okay, we can only live in one body. We can only be at one place on the planet at one time. But God has said, I love the whole world. And he wants the whole world to hear the gospel. Most of us, we are just dumb Americans. We know one language. However, there are people who can speak multiple languages and they can live in a culture that we can't live in or are not ready to live in at this present time. We can't speak the language. We're in a prison of, of inability. You can give out a gospel tract, but you can't verbalize someone. But you can give so they can spread the seed. Then it multiplies your your reward for that. That, I think, is what he's trying to say there. Look at the next verse, verse number 11. Being enriched in everything. By the way, the rest of that, the previous part was in parentheses because it's referencing an Old Testament scripture, okay? So it's, it's using the Old Testament scripture, so it's parentheses. But now he goes back, verse 11. Being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causes through us thanksgiving to God. He said, Having everything they need, what happens? People are very thankful. How many are thankful you're saved tonight? You got saved because someone took you the gospel, right? Okay. And he said when people get saved, they're very happy. Missionaries are happy when they get supported because now they can do what God's called them to do. They're enriched and they, they're appreciative. You know, there are people in South Africa praying for First Baptist Church of Hammond tonight. There are people in Central America praying. There are people in Haiti praying for us. And if it's not the people of the church, it's, it's the people that are missionaries there. I've had several of them today just text me and say, Pastor, would you consider praying for this? In Haiti, in Venezuela, in Mexico, all three locations today, people text me and said on WhatsApp, would you consider praying for this? But then they usually include something, we're praying for you. Because it's a, it's a partnership, it's an exchange. And the more successful they are when I give to them, who else is successful? We're successful. So it's a, it's a, it's a bond that, go, that goes on there, and it crosses eternity's perspective. Let's look at the next one if we can, please. Verse number 12, and we'll conclude. For the administration of the service not only supplieth the want of the saints, and not only meets the needs of people I'll see in Jerusalem, but... It is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. So not only does it meet their need, but it brings a lot of gratitude to God. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? While in the experiment of the ministration, they glorify God that your professed subjection to our gospel of Christ for our liberal di distribution unto them and unto all men. He said, your generosity will glorify God because of your faithfulness. And, verse number 14, let's read 14 and 15 together. And by their prayer for you, for the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be unto God. So you can see the Apostle Paul as he challenges these Corinthian Christians. He said, look, I've sent these guys to heaven. And when you get ready to get your gifts together, remember. Remember the law of the harvest. You sow a lot, you reap a lot. You sow a little bit, you reap a little bit. He said, remember that cheerfulness is a necessity. Don't do it because you have to. Not of necessity, not of, not of grudgingly, but, but cheerful. Because God can put more love on you and in you and through you to do what you need to do. And then you ignite God's 
help in your situation. I'm telling you, friends, sometimes I have, I have felt like the most needy person on the planet. And I'm sure you've gone through those times, trying to figure out what to do in any given situation. But then the Bible says, but my God shall supply all your needs. And his sufficiency for all things that have to do with his work kicks in when we learn to be benefit, when we learn to trust him and participate in that. This week, of course, I hope all of you still have this in your Bible. This for the children. And children, if you don't have it, get this and be praying about it. Adults, let's all pick, pick this right here, the world's cry. Pick it up. Pray about it. Say, God, what would you give through me on a weekly basis? Not what I don't have. And, you know, there's things you should do. You should tithe. There's things you could do. You can give through your um, things you have. And there's a few of you that you, beyond your power, will be able to give things that you can only trust God to do, and he'll do some special things through you.